What's up, everybody? Welcome into the Damn Ryan Show. My name is Anders Johansson. I am a editor and White Sox analyst here at TheLoopSports.com. This is the Damn Ryan Show, Chicago sports talk without the traffic jams. Uh, for the next hour or so, we're going to be talking Chicago White Sox baseball, Chicago Cubs baseball, uh, some Blackhawks hockey, some Bulls basketball. Definitely nothing about the Bears because they were terrible this year. Uh, I'd like to welcome in our guests, starting with managing editor Patrick Flowers. Patrick, say hello. How's it going? We also have staff writer Matt Grabiansky. Matt, say hello. Hey, everyone. Also joining us on this first episode is staff writer and Bulls columnist Tim Moran. Tim, say hello. What's up? And also staff writer Matthew Smith. Matt, say hello. Hey there. So we got a full house today, five Co-hosts, we got a bevy of topics to talk about. We're just going to jump right into it. Uh, we're going to talk about the White Sox. First off, uh, the off-season discussion. As everybody knows, the White Sox have made a couple trades this off-season, sending Chris Sale to the Boston Red Sox for a nice prospect package. Uh, they also sent Adam Eaton to the Washington Nationals for a equally delightful prospect package. Um, we've covered this uh, this topic a lot on the Loop Sports uh, with some analysis and uh, and some reviews, but we want to talk about that on uh, on the podcast here. Uh, does anybody want to chime in with some quick thoughts on the White Sox offseason so far? Yeah, Tim. I mean, this is a uh, it's Smitty, it's Matt. Yeah, I uh, I'm quite pleased so far with the direction of the uh, of the offseason. I think Rick Hahn's done well for himself and for the franchise, and in uh, in holding out for the proper packages and making sure that the returns on you know, two stars uh, seem to be, anyway, at first blush, um, worth it. I mean, they're prospects, so you never know, but I think he's done a pretty good job so far. I would agree. Anybody else want to? Yeah. Yeah? I mean, it's hard to tell exactly how prospects are going to turn out, but for now it looks like he's done a great job. Um, I know there's some concerns that he only got, you know, mainly pitching prospects in return. Um, but as Owen, uh, writer for our site, pointed out, um, I don't think that should be a good concern uh, because of uh, the fact that we can always flip them later. So I don't think there's any major concerns. Um, I think he's just built up a bulk of talent uh, that uh, hopefully most will turn out. Um, so I think it's a good start, and we'll just have to see where it goes. Yeah, it was definitely the most exciting offseason uh, I can remember in a long time as a White Sox fan. I mean, when's the last time we could say that we have six top 100 prospects in our system at any time ever? Yeah. <laughs> I think the, the most encouraging thing is that before the offseason started, the White Sox farm system, which has historically been pretty bad, was ranked somewhere around like 24, 25. And now after these trades, they're towards the top of the top 10. Um, it's been a long time since the White Sox had a top 10 pros- uh, farm system. I don't think they've ever had a top 10 farm system now that I think about it. Uh, so it's definitely new, uh, untreaded waters for the White Sox when it comes to prospect management, which, again, historically, they haven't done such a good job with it. Uh, I think of guys like Joe Borchard, who at one time was a highly touted prospect, and where is he now? Nobody knows. So... It's definitely going to be interesting watching them manage these prospects because it's uh, it's something that they haven't really had to do before. 
Uh, do you? Uh, does anybody have a favorite new arrival? Obviously, there's Yohan Moncada. I'm sure we're all pretty high on him. Uh, excited to see him join the ball club. Anybody other than Moncada? Yeah, Yohan Moncada is probably the obvious for everybody being the number one prospect in all of baseball. And as I was sitting here writing my notes earlier, I figured I'm going to go with somebody other than Moncada. Uh, I like Reynaldo Lopez a lot. He's very raw. Uh, he's had problems. At 23 years old, he's still young and he's raw, but he's got a fastball that sits in the mid-90s all day, can scrape triple digits, and he's got a, an excellent above-average power curve. Um, the only thing holding him back right now is he struggles to repeat his delivery, and that hurts his fastball velocity as well as his command. He had uh, last year when he came up with the Nationals, in his 44 innings, he walked 22 hitters and also had five wild pitches. So um, he's going to have to work on his consistent delivery to the plate, but you know, working with Don Cooper, I think he should be all right moving forward. Yeah, I agree for sure that Lopez is a um, is definitely a great addition. Um, I know there were some. I know Giolito uh, is ranked higher as far as what we got back from the Nationals, um, but there were definitely some many White Sox fans out there and writers who were saying that Lopez uh, could be almost as good as Giolito. Um, you know, he's ranked in the top 42. Um, so, but for me, I would say my favorite new arrival would be. Um, I'm going to go with something a little uh, surprising. Um, I'm going to go with Luis Alexander Basavi from the Red Sox. Um, he is someone who has been said said to be trending up. Um, I can't remember who it was, but just a couple of weeks, just a week ago, um, you know, there was, I saw on Twitter that he was probably going to be in the top 100 prospects for next year. Um, and right now he's not. So I like the idea that he's been trending up. Um, he seems to be a good athletic outfielder. Um, and you know, he's the only outfielder that Sox got in the returns. Um, and frankly, the Sox are thin on outfield prospects right now. Um, so I think it's a good, it's a good place to start for them. Um, and we'll see how he turns out, but, uh, I like the idea of getting someone who seems to be trending upward and is a good, uh, fit for the whole roster. Good pick. Yeah, I agree. That is a good pick. He's, uh, he's got speed. He's got an arm and he's got, uh, raw power. We'll see how that translates. Uh, White Sox have been very good at developing anything in the form of heating prospects recently. I mean, even Tim Anderson, it's, I think that's more natural talent right now. So we'll see what they can do at the big league level with them. Um, I'm going to go with Kopech. I, I think Kopech is, a, is a, a star in the making, even if it's, that's not as a starter. I think if he can, uh, if he can develop his slider, you know, his changeup right now from uh, like Loggenhagen from Fangrass wrote a pretty good uh, piece on him. You know, his changeup's already there uh, for the most part. Flashes above average. Uh, his fastball, we know what that is. I mean, he just, you guys saw the tweet and the video of him clocking 110 in an over, uh, under load drill, first day of spring training. I mean, that's just sick. Yeah, that's just <laughs> disgusting. So if he can develop that changeup and keep it sitting, you know, 10 to 12 miles below his fastball with the same delivery, I mean, it's, ugh, guy's got the chance to be either number two or number three starter or, you know, an elite closer. And as we can see, the, the Royals and the Indians and the Cubs in recent years, it's a bullpen or bust. So even if he doesn't end up being a top flight starter, I think that uh, he's uh, he's going to be a keeper. Really excited about that guy. Yeah, he looks good. He was 
he made me scratch my head the other day when he posted that tweet with that 110 mile an hour max velocity throw <laughs> because if, if I'm Don Cooper or if I'm Rick Hahn sitting at home watching going through Twitter I'm I'm livid I'm mad that he's throwing medicine ball, or uh, weighted balls on a crow hop during you know in January right now when he's my number three prospect that I just got back as part of a deal for Chris Sale but uh, he's definitely if you watch him on social media or if you listen to interviews with him he's got a lot of personality and that could either be really good or it could be he can end up cutting up all the jerseys one day down the line (laughs) that brings up an interesting point because i was just about to say um he does have a little bit of a chris sale type feel um obviously they're different pitchers but from what you said about him um, possibly being a great closer, um, that's what some were thinking Sale was going to be. Um, he throws harder than Sale, but Sale, um, for the most part, is regarded as a harder-throwing pitcher um, up in the mid to high 90s. And um, so some thought that Sale would be a closer. Um, he started out in the bullpen. I know he spent his first year there. I can't remember if it was second or third year that he was a full-time starter. Um, but, yeah, it just goes to show that um, – you know, sometimes these players can exceed your expectations for them, um, just like Sale did for most people, um, perennial Cy Young candidate. So, yeah, those are good points, um, Matt. You brought up just a little bit ago that uh, the Indians and the Royals bullpens uh, kind of separated them from the rest of the pack in baseball, and I think it's interesting that both of those teams are in the American League Central. Uh, do you think for the White Sox to be competitive that they need an elite bullpen similar to what the Royals and Indians have? Uh, certainly. With uh, with the, what the White Sox and the Windows looking at, you know, minimum two, three years before they can realistically be considered competitors, and that's if prospects pan out and if they make smart free agent signings and if they draft well. You know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of unknowns there. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's a, it's just a key in the game today. Starters aren't throwing as long. Uh, their arms are worth, you know, between 10 and 25 million dollars. So they're getting pulled in the sixth, seventh inning, and, and unless you're Justin Verlander or Chris Sale or David Price, you know. So you've got to have at least seven if not eight arms at the big league level, and then you've got to have three or four down in the minor leagues ready to step up, you know, in an instant, which is good that you have guys like Zach Birdie floating around, and you've already got arms like Patrichka, you know, and, and you've got some pieces that you can use. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah, man, it's it's going to be key. It's, it's just baseball in general. I don't even think it has to do with the AL Central. I think it's just baseball in general. You know, Hawk doesn't say very many intelligent things anymore, but one of the things he is, <laughs> it, it is a, it's about the bullpen. You know, it comes down to the bullpen. Because if you've got a one-run lead in the seventh inning, you've got to have the guys that can hold it. I think the uh, the gorilla in the room is the fact that the White Sox still have Jose Quintana. Uh, I would imagine all 29 other teams in baseball are at least somewhat interested in acquiring the left-hander. Um, the White Sox probably have deals out on the table that we've never heard of. Uh, the bigger reports are the Astros, the Yankees, and the Pirates. Uh, do any of you see Jose Quintana being traded this offseason? Do you think maybe he'll be traded uh, once the season starts? Uh, curious to hear your thoughts on that. No, I'm not, I don't see it happening. Uh, I was actually talking to Owen about it earlier. We're 20 just about 20 days shy of pitchers and catchers reporting to spring training, and I think just about everybody's done making any sort of blockbuster deal here this offseason. 
Um, at least right now, everybody must be at a certain level of contention with their roster that they don't want to tear it up, tear up their farm system to go get Jose Quintana at this point. Uh, I'd say it's not going to be until July where we start hearing serious discussions about him heading out of town again. I, uh, I'm going to go in a different direction. I think they, I think they are going to move him. Uh, I think they have to move him. I don't think that he does any good on the roster right now. And frankly, you don't know what's going to happen. So if he is still on the roster in in June and he's got a 450 FIP and uh, his strikeouts per nine goes down into the sevens and uh, you know he's exposed in any kind of way, then his value is going to going to drop. And God forbid he gets hurt. I mean, he's logged 200 innings like clockwork the last four seasons, but you just never know. You simply never know. And and yes, the prospects the Sox have gotten back in return to this point have, have been strong, and it's vaulted them up the farm system rankings. But let's not forget, Joe Borchard, Joe Borchard was number 12 in 2002. John Roush was number four in 2001, and you know, Frank Thomas never made it past number 29 on Baseball America's Top 100. So, you know, we got a lot of uh, real low or high numbers, depending on how you want to say it, with the current crop we got. You just never know, so I think you need to max it out right now. Go for it. Plus, I mean, do you want to do you want to move Jose Quintana at the trade deadline or next offseason, and then have those prospects potentially be a year behind the crop you got now? And then you, I mean, yeah, you're setting yourself up for longer term success, but you're also not setting yourself up necessarily as well for a run, you know, and having all those guys in the big leagues at the same time growing and learning together, and you know, pulling the Cubs and being a year ahead of schedule as a unit, and then you know, winning the World Series in year two. I'm going to have to agree with uh, Patrick on this one. Um, you know, uh, the Astros general manager said today that he's he doesn't think there's going to be any more significant uh, acquisitions for him this offseason. Um, the Pirates seemed like they had their window there, but they couldn't just get a deal done. Um, and I haven't really seen any serious reports. I mean, the Yankees were mentioned, but... Um, they didn't seem very willing to part with their top two prospects, uh, Clint Frazier and Gleyber Torres, who I'm sure the White Sox would want one of. Um, so, yeah, I think the White Sox are going to hold on to him. I, I don't see Quintana getting any worse. Um, I wrote an article a couple weeks ago, and um, looking at the stats, he's just gotten better and better over his career. Um, and I think, you know, I think it's just going to continue that. And, you know, I think they're going to wait until um, midseason because, um, yeah, there's more risk involved that way. But uh, teams are generally more desperate. Um, you know, in the offseason, they've kind of had their chance to make their moves and like, OK, we're going to be good this next season. And by midseason, they're seeing their flaws and they're um, trying to patch things up as they go into the home stretch. Um, so I think they can get a better deal uh, by the trade deadline. Um, and, you know, there's no rush, so I don't see any problem with them waiting a little bit to deal him. So, yeah. I definitely see both a question. sides. Oh, yeah, go for it, Matt. Yeah, so the deal that, that was reportedly offered to the Rays, um, Tucker, Martez, Paulino, and two other guys, you know, depending on who those two other guys are, uh, I mean, do you guys think that that's, that's insufficient for no. somebody like Jose Quintana? Not at all. I don't know. I'm not understanding – what the holdup is on our end. If the, if the Astros were going to offer those prospects to the Rays for Archer, who I feel is a less superior pitcher than Jose Quintana, then I don't know if Han... Is, I don't know. I don't I don't want to speculate. I mean, Bregman could have something to do with it. 
we're not getting him, period. We should get over that and move on. Um, I mean, even though I don't think it's going to happen this offseason, I'm, I'm with you. I think I would prefer to get it done now for all the reasons that you, you outlined. I just don't feel like it's going to happen, unfortunately. I uh, I see I see both sides in the Sox keeping Quintana and the Sox trying to hurry to deal him. Um, obviously he has uh, he's young he's 27 years old he's got a team friendly contract which you know I'm sure the Sox like but it's also uh, one of the bigger parts of why they would want to look to trade him. I'm sure that that's valuable to another team. Um, I, I I like the idea of him kind of anchoring this rotation during our our down years. Uh, I think Carlos Rodon would be able to really learn from Quintana um, when it's just the the two of them and uh, Chris Sale not really distracting people in the locker room as he uh, he kind of did last season. Um, I, I'd like to see a whole year out of Rodon and Quintana at the top of the rotation and see how they learn from each other. Um, but then, like you guys were saying. Now would be the time to trade Quintana. We've we've seen his value in uh, the last couple seasons with the White Sox. Uh, he's coming off of a, a really solid year. He had a 3.20 ERA uh, with 13 and 12 record and over 200 innings pitched, as Matt uh, Matt referenced. Uh, so he's got a lot of value right now, and, and that looks attractive to other teams. Um, so I, I see both sides and why they would want to keep him, and why they would want to deal him. But I don't, I don't know necessarily if something gets done this off season. And yeah, the the risk for injury is always there, but the Sox have a good track record with pitchers, uh, starting pitcher health. Uh, they've been able to keep their starting pitchers pretty healthy. Uh, I can't think of any time that a big name starting pitcher with the White Sox was injured for any extended amount of time, which is just incredible if you take a look around baseball and, and look at other pitching staffs. So time will tell. I mean, he's he's got value. I'm sure he'll always have value, but yeah, it doesn't look like anything's going to happen right now. Well, me to bring the, not to continue this conversation too much longer. That, that why aren't we hearing about anybody else? Like, wouldn't Melky Cabrera? I mean, he would just. There's so many teams that he would immediately improve um, as an outfielder. And I know David Robertson's lost a lot of value, but you know, closers are thin, and he's still got that hammer. Uh, you know, I. We're still not, Todd Frazier's kind of disappeared from the trade talk, and he's only making 12 mil this year. Granted, there's a lot of power hitting corner infielders, but, you know, it's just like a, it's all Quintana or bust right now. You don't seem to be hearing anything else about that. I wonder why. There were also a couple of rumors about Jose Abreu to the Rockies, which I don't know if that was ever legitimate, but, yeah, I don't know. There's There's other players at the White Sox. Yeah, that would have been interesting. There's other players that the White Sox could trade, but Quintana seems to be the focus for some reason. Yeah, it's puzzling. Um, with all the valuable trade assets the Sox have, first of all, it's puzzling that they couldn't make a postseason run. But second of all, that they haven't been getting you know any offers on that. Um, but you know, I think it'll take time. It's not like the Cubs traded every single person at once. Um, you know, so I do think that we probably should have heard something more by now. But it's it's possible that the Sox are very intent on trading Quintana, and that's just their focus right now, too. Yeah, time will tell. Time will tell. Uh, so we're going to shift things over to uh, the Chicago Blackhawks here, get some uh, get some hockey talk going, which, of course, I am very able to contribute to. Uh, <laughs> the All-Star game is, uh, is coming up. Do you guys have any thoughts on the NHL All-Star game? It's the best All-Star game for me in professional sports right now. 
it's I'm really excited about it, and I don't get it. I haven't gotten excited over All Star games and professional sports in about ten years because they suck, to be honest. But this three on three, fast paced uh, elimination tournament is great. The NHL hit it right on the head with that one starting last year, so it's going to be a lot of fun next weekend. If you're a big fan of hockey. I agree. I think the skills competition uh, that they added a few years ago um, is a lot of fun to watch. I know I've tuned in the past couple of years. Um, you know, I'm a medium hockey fan. I follow the Blackhawks, but I don't watch them every game. Um, but, yeah, I do think that it's a fun, entertaining thing. Um, and, uh, you know, I think having variety is what every All-Star game strives for, and that's kind of what the NFL has failed to do because they just had the pro ball game and they had nothing else, whereas the NBA, the NHL, had these skill competitions. You know, MLB has a home run derby. Um, But, yeah, uh, I do think the NHL um, All-Star game should be fun. I like the the divisional idea rather than uh, conference. Um, Having more teams um, just makes it more interesting. Um, So, yeah. I would like to see a skills competition in baseball. I think it'd be fun to watch uh, outfielders max out their arms from the warning track and uh, try to nail a, a throw to home plate. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's cool seeing skills competitions and uh, and leagues trying to mess around with formats and different things to keep the All Star Game interesting, first of all, but also fun and and drawing drawing viewers. Uh, so the Blackhawks, Artemi Panarin, uh, was not selected to the All Star Game. Uh, was there any reason for that? Do you guys have any thoughts on why maybe he wasn't selected? A flawed voting system. The fan vote is flawed. It's it's flawed across sports. Uh, fan, you know, players are voted in by their previous year's accolades or their general reputation or their popularity on social media rather than their their statistics. Too often, uh, we've seen it in Major League Baseball the last couple of years, where you know last season the entire infield was the Cubs, and the year before that, almost the entire Royal Royals roster represented the American League All Stars. Um, while most of them were worthy of it, not the. I don't want to watch the Royals versus the National League All Stars. You know the fan votes. It's it's not getting it right. Even in the NBA, Russell Westbrook not a starter in the Western Conference. He's averaging a triple-double through the halfway point of the season. Um, that's robbery, and so was Panarin. He's the second-leading scorer on the team. He's the defending uh, NHL Rookie of the Year. Why is he not in the All-Star game? Why is Jonathan Taves in the All-Star game when Jonathan Taves is having his worst season of his career this year and has missed significant time due to injury? Uh, you know, you see across sports, you know, fans get attached to their favorite players and they always vote them in. And, um, you know, while it does maybe add uh, viewership because of all these, you know, legends that are maybe um, not doing so well at the time but are still in the game, um, I think it I think it is very unfair that people like Panarin are left out, um, you know, because they're, you know, haven't made a huge name for themselves yet. Um, but... Yeah, I, I think if you look at the stats, you just there's no way you can argue that he shouldn't be in over someone like Taze or even Kane, who Panarin has um, has five more goals than on 33 fewer shots. Um, so 
so yeah, it's disappointing. Um, and I think, you know, I'm starting to see this frustration build. Just last week, the NBA had Zaza Pachulia uh, after the first week as a starting center in the All-Star game. You know, he's voted out now. But, um, you know, I think people are going to start getting angry with the fan voting. We might see some reform in the upcoming years, which I hope to see. Patrick, you brought up the fact that uh, two years ago, almost the entire Kansas City Royals uh, starting lineup was in the baseball all-star game. I think part of that had to do with the fact that even the fans know that the fan voting is flawed. Uh, I was following um, some posts on Reddit that season uh, on, in baseball, and people thought, like, hey, wouldn't it be funny if we voted in the entire Kansas City Royals order just to show baseball that you know fan voting doesn't work? It shouldn't be that way. Um, I don't know if any of the leagues have taken a hint and tried to change things up or if they have plans to do that in the future. But uh, it, the fans definitely know that that's not how it should be done if an entire team's roster can get voted in by popular vote. There, there's, what, what would you guys like to see as alternate forms of, of qualification for an All-Star game? It, it, would have to, it would have to be something along the lines of a media vote, a writer's vote. Um, those are the guys, you know, people who watch the games and cover the games and every night, night in and night out and write about it, they're fully conscious of that player's season, their current season, which is what they're supposed to be getting voted in according to. Um, so they'd be able to make a more educated decision than some of the fans who, you know, like you said, it's just a gimmick now. They're purposely doing this now to you know, show up the league and show them that it's broken. You saw it with the Royals, you saw it with the Cubs, and last year in the NHL All-Star game, you know, John Scott was the leading vote-getter and a captain for the for his division. The guy has been a, you know, a, a grinder and a bounced back and forth between the minor leagues and the NHL his whole career, and they voted him in just to, just to show the NHL the system's broken. And then you saw the NHL try their darndest to have Arizona stuff him in their minor league system so that he couldn't even participate in the game. Um, that didn't happen. We all saw that he actually had a good game, and he ended up winning the MVP last year, which was should have been the ultimate message to the NHL. It's broke. You couldn't hide that it's broken, so fix it. But they didn't care because the fans ended up rallying behind John Scott, and so they still made their money, so they turned their back and counted their dollars and left it broken again. What about some kind of hybrid where uh, maybe the writers vote in the starting lineup and the fans are able to fill out the bench? That way you could have participation where uh, the players who deserve to be starting in the All-Star game get to be there, but the fans also get to participate and feel some kind of inclusion towards what's going on. Well, the NBA actually, right now, 50% of the vote is fans, and then it's like, 25% is writers and 25% is something else. Um, coaches. So, yeah, coaches. Yeah. So, I mean, um, there, I think 50% might be a little too much, uh, you know, with but their tiebreaker like is the fan vote. This is, which is why Russell yeah. Westbrook wasn't voted in, wasn't a starter rather. He was tied with Steph Curry and, um, Harden in the front and he, he lost that tiebreaker cause he wasn't, he wasn't leading the fan vote. Um, that format's good, but they need to reverse the tiebreaker then, because ultimately the the final call in a, in, a, in, a, in something like that should go with the, you know, I don't want to say more educated, but yeah, quite frankly, more educated in the topic. 
Sure. There, I, I think we could sit here and uh, and spitball a bunch of ways that All Star games could be fixed, but unfortunately, we have no say in what goes on. <laughs> so it's fun to fun to speculate with each other. Um, but I think until one I thought, of us, I thought, I thought the Loop Sports was given like a, you know, priority to the to the commissioners of all leagues. They had to listen into <laughs> yeah. everything they say. Patrick's working on it, right? You're you have some I'm, emails out. You got some feelers out I'm, there. Yeah, I'm working at it. Uh. <laughs> We're going to get our Hall of Fame vote, too. Don't worry. We'll be okay. <laughs> uh, do you guys have uh, any Blackhawks midseason MVPs, players that you want to talk about real quick before we transition into another topic? Uh, yeah. Quietly, Patrick Kane is, again, the Hawks MVP this season. As much as I love Panarin and the performance he's putting on, uh, Kane has still got to be the MVP again. And very quietly, leading the team in points with 47, 14 goals, 33 assists, and he's got you know, four game-winning goals in the season. This has got to be the least talked-about season in his career, and he's still carrying the team. And, I mean, a lot of our Temi Panarin's success hinges on the ability for Patrick Kane to get him the puck across ice and him to utilize his signature one-time snapshot. So... You know, without Kane, Blackhawks are a middle of the pack or less team in the Western Conference. I would um, add in uh, Scott Darling to the conversation because when Crawford was out there with appendicitis with his surgery, you know, I forget a week or two or even three weeks, um, he did a great job. Um, I know they had a winning streak then, um, and it's nice to know. You know, in any sport, that you have a backup, a competent backup that can fill in for your um, your starters, um, and I think it's just shown in the you know the rumors and the debates that you see. Whereas at the beginning of the season, you know, it was Crawford who was our number one, and there was no conversation. But you know, you saw some people talking about potentially trading Crawford and uh, moving Darling to the number one spot. So, um, so yeah, I think he's made a lot of progress. Um, I don't. He obviously hasn't contributed as much as Kane, um, but for for the opportunities he has been given, I think he's. Yeah, we'd be really in a. We wouldn't. We certainly wouldn't be two points out of the the lead in the Western Conference right now if it wasn't for Scott Darling. And I'm actually one of the proponents of moving Crawford, clearing up that cap space, um, keeping it for guys like Panarin and more young guys coming up like uh, Vinny Hinostroza and Ryan Hartman and stuff, they're going to get paydays in the next year or two. I mean, that's a topic that we can get into for another night. Just quickly, you brought up Darlin. That's a great point. I mean, he's 12-4-2 this year. He's got a so he's got a better win percentage than Crawford. He's got a better save percentage, a better goals allowed percentage. I mean, he's he's ultimately outperforming Crawford in, in a slightly smaller scale. So you can't undervalue him at all. Right, so I think that just about wraps up our uh, our Blackhawks segment. Um, we're gonna move on here and talk about the Cubs real quick. Who uh, you know haven't done too much this offseason. They have a new closer, uh, Raldis Chapman is no longer with the team. They now have uh, Wade Davis, who will be closing games. Um, other than that, not too much going on with the Cubs this offseason. Right, can you blame Anybody? them? They're still hung over from their World Series victory, I mean, rightfully so. <laughs> I mean, and they're, the, the majority of their roster is, is already intact for next season, so good for them. Mm-hmm. It's a nice luxury to have. 
Yeah, I'm just kind of surprised that they've been so so quiet. I mean, moving Solaire for Wade Davis was was a good move. I think it uh, I think it was just smart. It was a smart play. But right after the season, didn't wasn't Theo talking about start of six, seven, and eight in the minor leagues and got a pine up on pitching depth and you know grab that left-handed bat or left-handed reliever or at least a reliever who can get left-handers out on a consistent basis and we haven't seen those moves i mean mike montgomery going into the season as the number five starter I mean, it's not gonna break the cubs chances you know from jump street but it's certainly not ideal but he has a lot of value as a swing man as i you know i've said that before um, you know somebody who can go into rotation as a spot starter or pitch the fourth through the sixth they're coming in the eighth to get a couple of outs and you know they've just kind of taken that off the table completely so I'm, I'm surprised that they've been so quiet I mean it's not super surprising that they've been so quiet I mean obviously just won the World Series there wasn't really a, a ton to do only real two major lo- three major losses would be Hamill Chapman and Fowler uh, but yeah I am also surprised they really haven't done a lot in the pitching front you know they went out uh, they got some bullpen help in Davis. They got Uehara, Benson. You got a lot of other uh, lower-level bullpen arms to help with depth. But I think what really they need to take care of is the future of their pitching. I think Theo's talked a lot about uh, having long-term controllable pitching, and that's the reason they don't have right now. You look at the end of the, the 2017 season, they're losing Davis, Lackey, Arietta, obviously, Stroke, and then the two new guys, Uehara and Benson, as well. So you look at the end of the 2017 season, their bullpen is really, and their city rotation as well, is really vulnerable. That's something that they need to shore up. Otherwise, this next offseason could be a major damage to their future. Jose Quintana, calling Jose Quintana. <laughs> oh, I'd love to pull for that system. That'd be great. That would he would be, fit in perfectly. That would be such a sh- like Chicago-shattering trade to see... Quintana go from the White Sox to the Cubs. I think there'd be a lot of frustrated White Sox fans seeing something like that happen. It's so funny. I'm in a I'm in a couple White Sox fan pages on on Facebook, and all they ever do is just slam the Cubs, and it's hilarious. So I think if they saw something like that happen, it would just everybody would go, they'd go bonkers. Not just that, the Cubs have to give up some top guys for Quintana. I don't, I don't know how happy either side would be about that, but never know. The fit is there, for it's sure. definitely there. I mean, anyone of Hap, uh, Jimenez or Elmore as a, as a headliner in that deal would be a great place to start. And, I, you know, I I kind of disagree. I mean, those Facebook – I'm in a couple Facebook chat ones, uh, chat groups too, and, you know, those are all kind of uneducated, at least the ones I'm in, uh, uneducated moguls, you know, just spewing just – hate but uh you know i think there's a lot of uh a lot of white Sox fans that understand what's going down and i think there's a lot of educated cub fans too that would be you know if it fits on both sides go for it you know unfortunately the vocal majority is the the uneducated fans and the the educated ones tend to hang back and not really say too much so all you hear is the the hate spewing and that sort of thing yeah yeah, it's definitely a, a minority of of those fans that are uneducated, but they just kind of sit back and watch the uh, dumpster fire conversations roll all <laughs> afternoon and evening, and just get a kick out of it. Um, so, I'm, I'd be I'd be okay with the with the move. As long, you know, I don't care who we're trading them to, as long as we get back the return we need to get back. 
doesn't matter. It's a business, you know. You'd be a huge, huge help in that study rotation. It's not that Montgomery's bad, like you were saying, other than that, but, uh, yeah, having him in the bullpen is just so much better. He's, he's so much better in the bullpen than he is in the study rotation. I, I wouldn't mind right, seeing yeah. some Schwar bombs on the south side. You got you got Quintana for Schwarber, and maybe some. Oh else? no! I would cry. I would cry. That would be amazing. It, it would be sweet, but it would never. It would never happen. Um, <laughs> I think it's too much. I think all in all, though, the Cubs. Uh, you know, the Cubs have resources. Obviously, uh, they have a great core. It's not going anywhere. You know, so I, and they're set. We're talking about you know back end of the major league rotation and you know minor league pitching depth here so i think they'll be okay and uh cardinals got a little bit better not a lot better i think pittsburgh's on the way down um you know well at least for this season they've i mean they've got a ton of talent in the minors they've got some really nice pitching prospects but i I don't think that this year they're going to get it taken care of necessarily you know and then the the reds are well you know (laughs) <laughs> the, Reds. the Reds on the Reds. The Brewers are going up, though. They're definitely on the way up. Yeah. Yeah, Mason Hill was a good move starting at the trade deadline last year, huh? Yep. They're not going to be contending this year, but they'll be pretty darn close pretty, pretty soon. I mean, they they signed a couple pitchers yesterday. They signed a couple players yesterday. Um, uh, it was Valbuena, and then they got a... I can't remember who, but... Um, they kind of seem like additions that might be someone that could help out a contending team. Um, so I was a little surprised by that. I don't know necessarily what they're thinking, but but yeah, they got a good future. So and yeah, I think, I think addition, yeah, there's the uh, the addition for the Cubs at least that I think means more though than any other thing they've done this offseason is the signing of John Jay. I think the Ray Davis signing is going to be viewed as the big one, obviously. But giving up Soler, you know, it's it was, I think, a good deal for the Cubs, but they had to give up a guy that they controlled for a while. I think the John Jay signing is going to be huge to help them out because with Fowler leaving, just throwing Almora into an everyday starting role in center is not something you want, especially out of, you know, a rookie. And... What I think the Cubs get with John Jay that they were really lacking before is a guy that just gets on base. Because look at, you look at the Cubs starting lineup, they didn't have that guy that got on base. They didn't have a single guy really even super close to a 300 batting average. And then you bring in a guy like John Jay who, you know, even though he doesn't have any power, he hit 291 last year. He's, uh, and just for $8 million, I mean, he's, he's going to be platooning. You know, most likely with Amora, but having a guy out there that you can just trust, at least more so than anyone else in the roster, to just get a hit, I think that's a guy that the Cubs really, really needed. You know, why didn't, uh, did you guys hear any chatter about uh, them going after Straley at all? I mean, I haven't heard any chatter, no. Well, I mean, Straley was traded to the Marlins, I believe, but he's, he's a righty. And Montgomery's the lefty, and so that might be part of the reason they want Montgomery in the rotation. But you know, Straley had uh, held opponents to a six left-handed hitters last year to a 6.45 OPS. It, I mean, it's he was, and he was wasn't that expensive for the Marlins to grab. You know, he could have been somebody that they had their eyes on, and you know, maybe made a play for. So, you know, like I'm surprised Theo's not thinking of more. I don't want to call them outside the box moves because that's not necessarily outside the box, but isn't looking at more moves like that to, to shore it up. He's got the you know, he's got the pieces to move. He might not be done. 
just one of two final teams going for Tyson Ross. And there still are, you know, a bunch of low-level starting pitching options. You know, Jason Hamill, still a free agent. There's always the chance that they do what they did with Dexter Fowler and then bring him back next year out of nowhere. So, uh, they might not be done. And I think, you know, if they get that fifth starter, even if he's not perfect, even if he's not Quintana, moving up under the bullpen, that's going to be huge. So obviously the Cubs are coming off a season where they won the World Series for the first time in 108 years. Uh, pretty hard for them to, yeah, exactly. That's definitely woo worthy. Hashtag woo worthy. Um, is there anything that they can accomplish short of repeating a World Series championship? Which, I mean, for all intents and purposes, it looks like they are on their way to at least. Uh, make a run at defending their World Series championship. Is there anything that you guys would like to see them do in 2017 uh, short of that where you would consider the season a success? I mean... Go ahead, man. That's, yeah, that, that's obviously the goal, right? To win another World Series. They're definitely one of the best teams. I don't know if I would go so far to say they are the best team in the major leagues, but they are up there, and it's been a while... And the last time we won, we went back to back, so who's to say we're not going to do it again? Uh, but, yeah, that's the goal, and I think if they don't win, it's not the end of the world. People aren't going to be rioting or anything. Uh, but, yeah, I think overall, if they want the season to be a success, they need to win the World Series. Not to say it will be a complete failure if they don't, but if you want to consider it a success, they gotta, they got to do really, really well. Yeah, um, I think, I think, I really think they're going to get back to the World Series. Um, I haven't seen any NL team uh, get that much better, but what you have seen is the AL teams, like the Indians and the Red Sox, have really improved. Um, sure. They're already very good. Um, obviously, Chris Sale, um, and then you have Encarnacion going to the Indians. Um, so, you know, Obviously, teams like the Blue Jays are still strong, you know, still with a lot of power with Bautista returning to the Blue Jays. Um, so, so yeah, I think the Cubs, I really give the Cubs a great chance at getting out of the NL again. Um, how, I just, how horrible would it be for Cubs fans to see Chris Sale in a Red Sox uniform in the World Series next fall, ruining their chance at repeating? He's gone, yeah, yeah, he's gone from the South Side. You don't have to see him no more, except in the World Series when the when he's pitching for the Red Sox. Yeah, I I think the Sox fans will probably get way more enjoyment out of that than Cubs fans will get sadness. Uh, but yeah, I, I yeah, would buy a Sale Boston jersey yeah. and watch those games. <laughs> If he has a Corey Kluber esque World Series performance against the Cubs, he would, even though he's not in the sacks anymore. Choking in Game Seven. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Wow. All right. We'll we'll go. We'll go just short of the final few innings in Game Seven. <laughs> um, he would he would again become a hero on the South Side. The hero that changed his. Socks. Although I, I would say. I'd say the Indians probably have a much better shot than the Red Sox. But if, if they get there, yeah. You know, tangentially, I, I'm still waiting for the Dodgers to pick up Dozier. They're stalled. This talk's stalled. 
Uh, yeah. They're still on the table. I was saying that would be network radio today, and they're, they're still talking about it. They're, I mean, they're still hung up on Bellinger, I guess, uh, the twins are. But, uh, you know, Daly, Dozier does nothing for him now. He does nothing for him in two years. You know, he's got to go. And if you can get, like, Daly own and then somebody else on there, I then, but, you know, the Dodgers would just, holy smokes, can you imagine Brian Dozier in that lineup? He's a good I feel really bad that he's had to suffer through those years with the Twins because he is really good. There's there's players in the American League Central that I really respect because they're so good. Uh, Justin Verlander is one of them. Brian Dozier is another one. And, and to see him get a shot at something uh, something meaningful with a team like the Dodgers would be really cool because I think he, he deserves it for sure. So before we uh, before we sign off, uh, are there any Bulls topics that you guys want to touch on? I mean, there's uh, the recent Chris Bosh rumors. Uh, there's all the stuff going on with Jimmy Butler. Oh god! <laughs> <laughs> Everyone just hangs their head in absolute disappointment. Uh, okay, this has been, I mean, <laughs> this has been a horrible season for the Bulls. For this is about yeah. as bad as a, a season you can get for being at the fi- at five hundred at the halfway point. Yeah. I mean, the Bears. The win. Oh. Well, that's why. That's why they're not on the show this week. <laughs> <laughs> We're punishing them. <laughs> the Bulls will no, feel our wrath. This is just so hard to watch. It's oh my god. It's just terrible. Night in and night out. It's just like what's next. No, it, there's no consistency in Hoiberg rotations whatsoever. Now Zipser's playing consistent minutes over McDermott. It's like I don't, I just can't wrap my head around what goes through Fred Hoiberg's mind on a night-to-night basis. It's like he's just pulling names out of the hat before the game in the lineup. You're getting this many minutes. You're getting this many <laughs> minutes. <laughs> and and I think it's exponentially painful because of what Jimmy Butler has done this year. For sure. To see Bulls, for Bulls fans to see that they have such an amazing player who has developed for their eyes and just not have enough around him, uh, similar to someone like Chris Sale. Uh, I'm sure it's, you know, it's, it is devastating. Um, and, uh, you know, you have a lot of question marks. Do you keep him? Do you trade him? Um, you know, uh, yeah, just having so, so good, so many good things. One amazing thing, but all the bad things. That come I don't know if I feel worse for myself as a Bulls fan and a consumer of their product, or for Jimmy Butler because this guy's wasting his prime years in Chicago yeah. right now. I mean, he's a superstar and he gets no respect across the league because he plays on a mediocre to you know below no, you're too average kind, team. Yeah, right. <laughs> below average. I mean, the head coach is a sitting duck. The front office is a mess. You know, if Chris Bosh coming here would not surprise me at all. It'd be perfect Bulls move because um, it'd be worthless and he'd contribute nothing to the team um, I got a question that just screams Jerry Reinsdorf are Kenny <laughs> Williams and Garpax the same person they might be they're, they're alter egos because they do oh. the same exact thing oh it's just it's it's maddening and when is Jerry going to learn I mean he's a businessman right if you had if you had people in your organization and they consistently produced just Worthless rosters, and just terrible teams, and bad, bad managers, and bad head, and bad coaches. What, what, what do you got to do? What's going on, Jerry? Oh my gosh! It's just oh, it's so maddening. He's just, he's something else. He's he's too loyal. You know, his loyalty is his biggest flaw. 
I mean, he's running he's running a, a multi-billion, multiple multi-billion dollar businesses in one of the biggest industries in the world, and he can't get over his uh, his personal feelings about people that he brings around his organizations, even if it means, you know, hurting his own business in the end. It reminds me of the... Uh the exchange Palpatine and Luke have at the end of uh, Return of the Jedi where Luke's like uh, your overconfidence will be your downfall and Palpatine's like your faith in your friends will be yours I think that's kind of yeah. kind of what's that's, going that's, on <laughs> that's, that was actually a conversation Han and Reinsdorf had behind closed doors before this offseason I'm sure began I'm sure it is <laughs> <laughs> they had Kenny stuck in the closet at the winter meeting so he couldn't intervene <laughs> in anything but yeah I mean there's just been slight rumblings with the Bulls uh, outside of the Bosch thing. Nico Miritich has been made available. Ray John Rondo has been made available. Um, I don't see either of those guys bringing anything significant back to the Bulls in return. They've been exposed for what they are, which is just depth pieces at best. Um, you know, with Nico being the more valuable of the two, but, you know, he's the pump fake king. I mean, he, he, who wants a guy who won't even put a shot up? Uh, he just pretends he's going to shoot and then passes it every time. So Sounds the like Bulls me are in 2K. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> no, I shoot everything in 2K. I don't pass at all. <laughs> no, the Bulls are just a hot mess right now. Can they trade uh, Carter Williams for, uh, I don't know, a couple basketballs? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Their best trade chip right now outside of Jimmy Butler is, you know, Taj Gibson. And he's 30 years old and hitting free agency, so he's not bringing yep. much back either. Agreed. They wouldn't even get the new basketball in return. They would get the one that you guys remember a couple of years ago when they tried to change the way the basketball worked. <laughs> right. And, we're uh, little. There's a couple of those sitting in the closet somewhere that could get those for them. <laughs> Some old ABA balls. Yeah. Yeah, not good. Um, that's all I got on them. You, you guys jacked my memory earlier when we were talking about White Sox uh, talk on social media and I'm going to put this out here right now so that everybody who listens can hear it if you have it in your head that Chris Sale and Adam Eaton were traded because of some conspiracy theory to get rid of two people that you know were uh, vocal last year that were vocal last year on a couple topics you're out of your mind it has absolutely nothing to do (laughs) with it don't bring it up again every time I see it I want to throw my laptop it's ridiculous. Those are my favorite posts on on the White Sox subreddit. Is when people are like, "Oh, they, they traded them because they were, uh, you know, they were troublemakers." No, they traded them because they could get good players in return. If that's it's not like, and it's not like they were like Milton Bradley, you know, like two thousand nine Cubs level of trubs, uh, Cubs level of troublemaking. I mean, uh. Yeah, sale. The one, the cutting thing with sale was pretty bad, um, but there was nothing even close to that with Eaton. So I don't see any legitimacy yeah, behind that. He wasn't hiding. That process. Wasn't taking trips inside the Green Monster to take a leak in the middle of the game like Manny Ramirez was when he wanted to leave the Red Sox. So I mean, it's not the same well, the, thing at all. The thing with Eaton was that he was defending uh, Adam LaRoche's decision to bring Drake with. And that was uh, he was pretty vocal about Laroche being justified. That was a, that was a real mess. That was uh, that was the whole thing that people are going on about with Adam Eaton. So if there's no uh, that's just it's dumb. <laughs> that just brings back so so much sadness because here we are going into the season with this stupid Laroche thing, but hey, you know, at least we have just starting. 
you know, you know, everyone thinking about that, and it's like, oh man, we're going to start out bad with this huge distraction, and then we start out amazing, go with 23 and 10, and it's like, hey, you know, we moved past all this, and then of course, you know, you go back to the bad. So it's just like a and then we an didn't awful, move past it. An awful roller coaster. I think it's really sad when the White Sox two biggest news stories of 2016 could have easily been Onion articles. Uh, <laughs> that's Matt, Matt, Matt G's in the corner right now just laughing at us. <laughs> it's it's partly because I know that this offseason finally turned it around. Like, because now you, like the stories are not of just hapless messes like those. This is completely unrelated, and the listeners at home are not able to see this, but we're all in a Skype call together right now, so we can all see each other's faces, except for uh, Matt G, whose profile picture is a a camel and a cantaloupe? Is that what your picture is? Yeah, I prefer to call it the camel. just does that because his face is too ugly to show on camera and he knows a, you know, a camel would be much more delightful for us to see. A, a camelope or something like that. I like the camel. Yeah, yeah, that's right true. Camelope. I group me picture of the duck with arms. I love that. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was inspired by yours. Okay, guys, but we're scared. <laughs> we're scaring the listeners. It's just, just, just ending now. <laughs> anybody have any closing uh, thoughts before we sign off for the first Jimmy. episode? I mean, no, thank you. <laughs> That's uh, another joke that we have in the group me chat. I don't think we need to explain that one. I'm going to leave that one in this room. Oh, boy. What happened to Anders? Anders is stuck in time, man. There it is. Oh, oh, no. I was here. Anders, get back here. He's gone. He's gone. He got He's got enough of us. I don't blame him. Well, in the middle, I had a fire truck roll fly by me just now, which I know could be here in the background, so I guess it's a good thing he dropped off the call because he'll cut it out at the end. Yeah. Oh, well, he's just gone. Oh, now. yeah. He left, man. That, that could not have happened at a worse time. I hate my ass. Oh, my gosh. <sighs> It's the final week of the President's Day mattress sale at Ashley Home Store. Save big on an Ashley sleep mattress with a power base starting at just $9.99 exclusively at Ashley Home Store. Or save up to $1,000 on select queen mattresses from Sealy Posturepedic and Beautyrest. Or for a limited time, get eight years no interest on mattresses from Tempurpedic and Serta Eye Comfort. Hurry, don't miss the final week of the President's Day mattress sale. Only at America's number one furniture and mattress store. Ashley Home Store. This is home.